This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The key to having a great day starts with having a great night's sleep, and I know because I have a Casper mattress. The Casper mattress was invented with two high-tech foams that give you all of the support that you need and guarantee that you get the best night's sleep ever. Time Magazine named Casper Mattress one of the best inventions of 2015. Casper ships for free in a box so small you won't believe it holds the actual mattress, making it simple to get from your front door to your bedroom. And you try it for 100 nights risk-free. They'll come and pick it up if you don't love it as much as I love mine, and they'll refund every single dime. Once you try it, you're never going to want to sleep on anything else. Having a great day by having a great night's sleep. Casper.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code Glenn, $50 off the purchase of your mattress at Casper.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn. Don't forget, $50 off the purchase of your mattress. Casper.com slash Glenn. Terms and conditions do apply. Hello, America. Hello, America, and welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. So glad you're here. I am a Leninist. I No, I'm a Leninist. Lenin wanted to destroy the state, and that's my goal, too. Wait. Would that be good to say that? The Trump advisor, that is how he declares his political philosophy, that he is a Leninist. We'll talk a little bit about that and some some media criticism that you're not going to hear on the mainstream media. What really happened, more importantly, what is really happening in America? We begin there right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome to the program. In a 2011 radio interview, uh, Steve Bannon said that the women's liberation movement consisted of a bunch of dykes that came from the Seven Sisters School up in England. He is accused by his ex-wife of anti-Semitism. He said, quote, he doesn't like Jews and that he uh, doesn't like the way they raise their kids to be whiny brats. And he doesn't want his girls to go to school with Jews. Um, he also said that what we need to do is bitch slap the Republican Party. I actually am kind of for that one. I, I think that one is okay. This is the disturbing one. He said this in 2014. I am a Leninist. Lenin wanted to, to destroy the state, and that is my goal, too. I want to bring everything crashing down and destroy all of today's establishment. Yeah, but how old were you in 2014? I mean, can you even remember back that far? What's really disturbing is um, there are a lot of people that will kind of agree with that. And 
you, you'll read in the Declaration of Independence that you have a right to abolish or alter any government that goes awry from protecting the rights. But this is not, that's not what's happening. We are talking now about burning down the state. It says you have a right to abolish or uh, alter, but replace it with a government that does do the things the Declaration of Independence says you must do. Nobody's talking about what are you going to replace it with. For instance, hope and change. Change to what? Progressivism. We're going to make progress. Progress to what? I'm going to destroy the system to replace it with what? And when you say you're a Leninist, I think that eliminates 98% of Americans. I I mean, everybody knows who who that is and what that means. If If you start out with, I am a Leninist, Who uses that description? What American uses that description? A radical Marxist. Yeah. Now, I don't think he's a radical Marxist. Mm. He likes the idea of burning down the state, which is a very frightening thing. I know that talk radio and the right are saying good things about Steve Bannon, or at least they're playing neutral. Well, I don't really know. I, I don't know who this guy is. Well, he is on record on his own website of Breitbart, saying that Breitbart is the platform for the alt-right. So what is the alt-right? It was defined, again, by Breitbart. And I can never remember this guy's name. Uh, Richard Spencer. Um, They defined it as a movement that the leading voice is Richard Spencer, an American. He is a white nationalist. Um, and you'll hear people in talk radio say, well, populism and nationalism is, is not healthy, but it's not so bad. No, no, no. Populism and nationalism is bad, especially when you're talking about people like Richard, Richard Spencer, which Breitbart, in defining what their platform, what they're giving and making the Breitbart into a platform for the alt-right, they described it as... The leading voice is Richard Spencer. Just do a Google search for Richard Spencer. See who he is. And tell me this is reflective of you. That you want anyone, anyone in the White House, two degrees, one degree, seven degrees from Richard Spencer. This is the kind of thing that we talked about with Van Jones. The question is... Not if he's next to the president. How is he getting next to the president? What does this say about the president? Now, I personally think that Donald Trump has no idea. I think Donald Trump has not put a thought, a second of thought, into the alt-right. I think he would use them as useful idiots if he knew. And maybe Steve Bannon is doing that. But that makes him just as dangerous as if he actually believes in it. Because what you're doing is you're winding people up who are part of the neo-Nazis, who are part of the uh, white supremacist groups, who, who, who are part of, uh, uh, of the Klan. You're winding them up and saying, we're your guy. Now, this has happened before. It happens the same way every time. Somebody sees these groups and they say, we can use them. Well, the last guy to do this in America, kind of like this, 
was Woodrow Wilson. What happened in the teens and 20s under Woodrow Wilson? The Klan grew to outrageous numbers because the government empowered them, because Woodrow Wilson quietly empowered the Klan. They more than tripled or quadrupled their numbers. They were almost dead. And because the president had a tip of the hat to them, they were everywhere in the South, and we had lynchings again. You can look in the 1930s. It was the brown shirt stormtroopers. These were just the Nazi party. They were not empowered by the government. This was just the Nazi party. And Hitler empowered them and used them to gain control. But then what happened? He turned on them because they outlived their usefulness. And everybody was afraid of the brown shirts, so we had the Night of Long Knives. And they were all slaughtered. The other way this can go is for the government then to A, empower, and then ignore and not be the people they thought you would be. When that happens, then they riot in the streets. Then they get violent. And then the people rise up and they cry out for a leader to do something. That leader is empowered even more to have law and order and get rid of these people, and they do. This is a very bad situation. And unless we take this infection out at the beginning, it's going to be much, much worse. Please, please, I beg of you. I will give the president the benefit of the doubt, the president-elect. I will support the president-elect until he does something unconstitutional or not in the spirit of the conservative uh, and free market principles. I will not assign bad um, uh, intent to the president, but I do assign bad intent to, uh, to Breitbart and to Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon knows exactly who these people are, and we know this because he himself and his website has defined who they are. They know who they're dealing with. They have given them a platform and a voice. And anyone who tells you, well, you don't know who's on the message boards, you're right, you don't. But if the blaze had come out and said, hey, by the way, we're going to be the voice for the alt-right, I'm calling those people to me. And that is exactly what Breitbart has done and Steve Bannon. Please do your homework, America. This is vital that you understand and you don't put walls up um, to protect people who are engaged in the alt-right. 99% of the people involved with Donald Trump and supporting Donald Trump, 99% are not, they don't even know what the alt-right is. Please don't dismiss that 1%. This is the time that I told you, you have to be very careful who you're standing next to. I've told you that for years. There's going to come a time where you're going to need to know. They're going to sound just like you. They're going, to, they're going to say all the things, but they're not like you. Be careful who you're standing next to. This is that time. And Steve Bannon is a very, very bad man. I could tell you 
uh, I wish I could have the people on the air who have come to me personally. But some of these people are so frightened of Steve Bannon, their hands shake. And these are strong people that I know who have worked with him firsthand. He is a dangerous man. Please do your homework. Now, with that said, um, I want to have a conversation. Uh, um, Dom Theodore is uh, our is our vice president of radio, or I don't know what you do exactly, but you run the radio division for The Blaze. I'm just your general manager. Yeah, okay. General manager <laughs> of radio. Of program. Yeah. <laughs> and you run this program. Um, Ellen uh, Wheeler is our uh, head of content for all of uh, Mercury and my other company. And we were having a, a conversation this morning about uh, what's happening. Now, yesterday, Pat and I attended a meeting that uh, Steve Deese... Um, uh, who is this unbelievable talk radio host, um, he called a meeting of some of the people that were never-Trumpers and reluctant-Trumpers, um, some of the leading minds that he respects. And he wrote to me and he said, hey, Glenn, we're looking for a place, preferably down in Texas, to hold this meeting. And I said, well, hold it here. If I could come, I want to listen. So we listened. And... What the meeting really is about is where does where do things go from here? What does this mean for the Republican Party? What does this mean for the uh, conservative movement? What is the conservative movement? And what really happened? And so we had this conversation, and I want to start with Dom, because you were telling me a story about you live up in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And you said the morning of the election, Donald Trump's going to win because everybody has miscast this we've missed something very important well yeah it it was really you know i live in a really small town in in west michigan um in mccosta county and it's north kind of north of grand rapids one of the things that stood out to me i walking into the uh, election i never thought in a million years that donald trump was going to win until that morning when i went to go vote and there were Two gentlemen standing outside the the voting um, area, you know, the little town hall. And one of them was, you know, clearly a farmer. You could just tell a lot. It's a farming community where where I live. A lot of um, a lot of them in that area. And there was another guy who was uh, kind of a blue collar mechanic. He had, you know, grease on his shirt. And, you know, you could tell that he probably uh, might might have been a mechanic. I'm guessing. But I was listening to them talk, and it was then that I decided that Donald Trump was going to win this thing, and, and this was the conversation. Never mind 2008. These guys were talking about how they haven't had a good year since 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. The recession the, prior to the big 2008 collapse. Years, 16 years of hell. Yeah. And these guys, one of them was talking about how he holds down multiple jobs now, and makes half the money that he used to make even back then. These folks hadn't had a good year in 16 years. And that's what this was all about. They were simply making a decision based on what they, who they felt. It, it was a policy matter, not a principle matter. So I had a, I had a, um, a friend of mine write to me um, on election day. And he said, this is the movement that you helped start but you lost track of them. And I wrote back and I said, 
how do you mean? I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the same principles as Donald Trump does. And he said, no, no, no. But I don't think they do either, Glenn. No. He said, these are the people that you talked to in Ohio during the rally for America. You, this is, these are the people you talked to in West Virginia and Pittsburgh and, and Pennsylvania and, and Michigan. He said, these are the people that connected. And I understood for the first time, I missed you. I, I, didn't, I didn't see. I was focused. Again, I think Selena Zito said it best. The people who listened to Donald Trump, who voted for him, took him seriously, but not literally. I took him literally and not seriously. And that was the big disconnect there. And it was because I think, and this is what I heard, but I misinterpreted it. I heard from people over and over again, Glenn, you're voting for some highfalutin principles. That's not, what we, that's not what we need right now. I missed, what I heard was, screw the principles. We just need to win. No, what they were saying was, principles are great, but I'm going to lose everything. I can't do it anymore. Not because they were afraid, not because of it. They were hungry, they were they were afraid of losing their jobs. They were afraid of losing their families. It was where it is intellectual to me. And, and in some ways, it is, it is not intellectual to me. I am very concerned. I keep 300 people, 246 people employed every single month. On, and it's all based basically on what I do. I could destroy the company or keep the company going. 246 people. I think about that all the time that weighs on me all the time. And whoever is in the Oval Office directly impacts my business. And I don't take that lightly. But it's not the same as being somebody who doesn't have a voice, who is working for an industry that the, that the, the government has been targeting and putting out of business. Back in just a second, let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. It's American Financing. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.consumeraccess.org. Uh, talk- <laughs> Thank you, Pat. Um, talk- hey, that was... I, I, uh, uh, coming up on the uh, third hour, we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening to the stock market, but we're not going to talk about the stock market. We're going to talk about what it means to your financing because I think there's real trouble on the horizon the bubble is getting bigger after this election, and it doesn't make any sense to me at all. So we've got an expert to talk about that coming up uh, in hour number three. If you are in dire straits, if, you are, um, if you're somebody who is now behind and you have high interest loans, please consider a refi. Please consider calling American Financing. American Financing is, is they, they're not run on um, commissions. They're run on salary. So nobody is trying to jam you into a refinancing instrument that a bank wants to sell you. And what they can do is they can take all your high interest loans, refinance into one lump sum, and you could save $500 to $1,000 every single month. Call 866-750-6551 or go to AmericanFinancing.net. 
I trust these people. I've known them for years. AmericanFinancing.net, 866-750-6551. America's home for home loans, AmericanFinancing.net. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. The key to having a great day starts with having a great night's sleep, and I know because I have a Casper mattress. The Casper mattress was invented with two high-tech foams that give you all of the support that you need and guarantee that you get the best night's sleep ever. Time Magazine named Casper Mattress one of the best inventions of 2015. Casper ships for free in a box so small you won't believe it holds the actual mattress, making it simple to get from your front door to your bedroom. And you try it for 100 nights risk-free. They'll come and pick it up if you don't love it as much as I love mine, and they'll refund every single dime. Once you try it, you're never going to want to sleep on anything else. Having a great day by having a great night's sleep, casper.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code Glenn, $50 off the purchase of your mattress at casper.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn. Don't forget, $50 off the purchase of your mattress, casper.com slash Glenn. Terms and conditions do apply. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Sounds like a joke, but it's not. The farmer and the mechanic go to a voting booth and they're and they're talking and they're saying, you know, I haven't had I, I haven't. I've been behind the eight ball since 2000, which is the reason why. But they're not hearing, none of them are thinking political philosophy. None of them are thinking about forwarding the conservative movement. None of them, they're all thinking about basic survival. Can you, can you where's your microphone? Where's, is hello? There, there it is. Okay, go ahead. You know, they, they don't care about philosophy. That, that, that wasn't what this was. You know, they, they care about, they heard the China message, the China and Mexico, all the jobs are going to China and Mexico. That was the message that resonated most with the people in the Midwest. And I can tell you from per- personal experience, my cousin was actually working for a seatbelt manufacturer in the Detroit area. They moved the factory down to Mexico, made him go down and train those people, and then fired him. This happened a lot. Um, the last 16 years, and you wonder why people are angry. Where do we go from here? Next. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Yesterday, Steve Dace uh, was with us, and uh, he's going to come up in about 25 minutes from now. Really smart, smart guy. Um, and he decided that he was going to have a, a meeting of, of a lot of people that he really respected and wanted to have a place here in Texas to do it, so we offered our studios. And 
I sat in and Pat sat in and uh, listened and, and so did Ellen. Now, Ellen is our chief of content, but she also used to be with FreedomWorks for a long, long time. What did you pull out of that meeting, Ellen? As I sat and listened to all, to all of you, I, I kept thinking, so we're not talking to the left the way they want to be talked to. And we're only talking to our side in a certain way. And those two sides don't get together. To me, it just all came down. And I can't believe I'm going to say this. I feel like a hippie from the 60s. Um, it all comes down to love. And you talk about love all the time. But, and you said it's all about you know, survival. But that's all about reassurance and love as well. It's all about reassurance, which actually comes down to being about love. You want to be reassured that your life is going to be okay, that what you believe in and how you want to live your life is going to be okay, and that you're going to be free to do the things you want, which comes down to saying, I want to feel loved, and I want to be free to love other people and other things. And the left tells that message all the time. You are so loved. We love you. And we want to make sure that you have the ability to love everyone else you want to love and take care of. Mm -hmm. And we don't talk about that. We talk intellectually. We talk about intellectual things. And so the message of we love you and we want you to have the life that you deserve to have or that you want to make for yourself does not come through, even though we believe we're, I think we believe we're sending that message. Yeah, we believe it. Uh, Let me tell you a story. Um, When I was at Restoring Honor in Washington, D.C., we all got together in front of the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And my very good, almost communist friend, uh, George Lang, um, he, he pre-read my script and then he watched the entire thing. And after he read the script, he said, you're missing the point, Glenn. Where's, where's the message of love? And I said, the whole thing is love. And he said, you don't say it. I said, George. And this is a time when I was like, you know what? Hush. Um, I said, George, you don't understand. The whole thing. We speak a different language. He said, apparently we do, but you're not saying love. And I said, George, the entire, I was like more like Pat, the entire thing is saying that. And I didn't realize that words really make a difference to the other side. I was thinking, we'll show by demonstration all of this by what we're saying is we love you. It's not the same. And so half the country doesn't hear They don't hear us because they don't, we don't speak the same language. When we're talking about um, limited government, what we're talking about is you want to marry somebody, marry somebody, love somebody. You want You want your dreams to come true. Great. Limit the government. For instance, right now, those on the left who are afraid, we are with you. There is no reason you should feel this way. And it has, and I'm not saying that because of Donald Trump. I'm saying that the president shouldn't have this much power. He should never be able to affect your life this way. California, you're now talking about secession. We get it. That's what limited government means that you can live your life in California without obstruction from the government. But Texas can live its way. We all need to be able to do that. And to me, that is saying, I love you. That is saying, but they don't hear it the same way. because you're talking about the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and saying the Constitution, therefore, will allow you this freedom. And I love you so much, I want you to have that freedom. Instead of saying, you know what? I don't want you to feel scared. 
Yes. You just say, you won't have to feel scared if we take the power away from the government. Instead of saying, I do not, I, Glenn, don't want you to feel scared. That it's a just a it's a different kind of language, and the left says, "I don't want you to feel scared." Right, and we don't. And then they and then they they match that with, "But you need me not to be afraid." Right, so that you don't have to be afraid, right. and and that makes us feel afraid of uh, of them, and that makes us feel unreassured. But we're not we're not saying we're just not saying it in the right with the right words, and lots of times with the right tone. We get so excited and exercised about saying, hey, here are these constitutional values that we're talking at the top of our voice and we're talking fast because it's such great information. Instead of saying, I... I hear you. Don't you want you to feel scared? And it's easy to, to consume that message. It's much easier to consume that message the way that the left poses it as opposed to the way... You listen to, right to, listen to talk radio and a lot of talk radio is screaming. Look and I never thought I would say this, look how popular NPR is right now. And it's quiet and music is playing. Right. It's not, I don't think it is because of the message. I think it is because of the tonality of it. And that it's tonality having, feels like I love you. Right. I heard a talk radio show host, I heard a talk radio show host yesterday that righteously was at the top of his lungs. And I, I just turned it off. I was like, I, 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 oh. I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. It's fatiguing. It is. And we are at the place times 10 of where the country was with, at the end of Monica Lewinsky. Remember the end of Monica Lewinsky? I do. And we were... <laughs> do you? Yes. Wasn't that... Wasn't that it was so good to get over with it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, not tr- it's trying to be quiet and gentle, not trying to do a sexy bedroom voice and missing. That's, there's a big Wait, difference. <laughs> that was a sexy bedroom voice? That's what I'm voice? saying. It wasn't, and I just think he was making an effort. And I don't think he has a sexy bedroom voice. Right. And if you do, don't ever try to use it on the air. <laughs> <laughs> um. So how do we how do we how do we get people to because this is what I warned about that you're going to be on the brink and you're going to cry out for a strong man and 28% of the people who voted for Trump wanted a strong man literally that's what their words were I want a strong man to come and fix this um so how do you get people who are on that road to then say, no, don't cry out for a strong man to fix it. Because, for instance, you said the, the farmer and the mechanic, and you have great example of it. Things are being sent down to Mexico, and bad things are happening. But A, you will hurt business even more by forcing companies to stay. That's not what we do. That's building a Berlin Wall, in, you know, a, a business Berlin Wall, and B, by punishing um, China, they have already said they're going to do the same back to us. They said that yesterday. So the solutions are even worse. The solutions that we're talking about now make the entire country Detroit. Well, here's the thing, though. If, he, if Trump does what he says he's going to do, 
at least, you know, a few times he has said he will lower corporate taxes. I mean, think about why companies leave in the first place. Yes. The business that we, we have the higher tax and the, the, the business environment's not good. Yes. So can we correct the, the business environment so that business businesses have an incentive to stay as opposed to yes. going down to Mexico for cheap labor? Yes. That's that's what we need. That's the free market solution. I guess Pat and I have a friend that has cancer. And he is part of this new therapy that they're injecting him with like a re-engineered AIDS, right? Yeah. Uh, AIDS virus, uh, bubonic plague, all of those, I mean, really super strong viruses that... <laughs> the bubonic uh, plague and AIDS is a super yeah, strong so virus? They're fairly strong. And they, t- they turn off the active, you know, gene in there. And then, and then the idea is that you inject it into cancer cells. And it reorganizes the cancer cells because they're so powerful and kills them. And turns them into the AIDS virus or the bubonic plague, but it's it not to compare anybody to the AIDS active. virus or the bubonic plague. But to give you an example, when you're healthy, no one would say yes to I want to inject you with this <laughs> things that we know is bad, even though it's been re-engineered, so we don't think it's bad. Mm. Nobody would say yes to that. But when you are in that desperate situation, you still wouldn't want to be injected with the AIDS or the bubonic plague. But if it's been re-engineered and it has an inkling of hope, because I think that's what we heard people say. Mm-hmm. There's no hope under Hillary Clinton. There's no hope under her, they thought. And yes, I don't like this. 60% of the people who voted for Donald Trump said they weren't happy with it. But at least maybe there's a chance, like our friend was thrilled to be injected with AIDS in the bubonic plague. I, I, hmm. a phrase I didn't wake up thinking I'd hear today. Correct, (laughs) right? But he was really excited. He's like, I got into that study. Wow. (laughs) That sounds great. (laughs) But it gives you a chance to survive. I will say that many people do inject themselves with botulism with no risk of death uh, and uh, do it by choice. I think one of the form of Botox. One yeah. of the hopeful things, Glenn, though, is that I mean, people want change and they're willing to risk to get it. And eight years ago, people voted for change again. And I think if we yeah. can look at that and say, people know something is wrong. They, both sides. Both sides know know that things are not functioning how they should. And that's why and, Hillary Clinton. That's why these numbers on both sides were so low. That, they know Hillary Clinton isn't that change either. Correct. But that. That says that we're all out there looking for something that that can t- can give us the kind of life that we want. Love. I I know you're making you're making fun of me, Jeffy, but I but I do think that there is a hopeful. I mean, I think there's a hope for a time of us all saying we can we we can give each other that freedom to here, live a good life. Here is the difference. Here is the biggest difference. No one yet, and the first person who does it will win. But no one yet has put the structure together um, of, the, of the Declaration of Independence. You've had the best one, I'm with her, means nothing. What does that even mean? That's not, that's not America. I'm with her. Make America great is at least an idea. But the Declaration of Independence said, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one group of people to dissolve the bands of other. You, it shouldn't be dissolved for small reasons, but 
But God demands that we say to the other group of people, hey, these are our problems and this is why we have to get away from you. But we're doing it because we believe these things to be self-evident. And they, they said, this is who we are. Then they went into the usurpations and all the things the king had done. We're all leading with the things that the king has done. And we might slap a bumper sticker, make America great again. We all know that we can make America great again because look what they've done. The first person who says, we hold these truths to be self-evident in a way that is relatable to America today, will win and lead both sides out. And now this. In cities and states, in Washington, D.C., politicians are threatening our Second Amendment rights, but Bond Arms is doing something about it. They have just introduced a brand new gun called the PT-2A, Protect the Second Amendment Gun from Bond Arms. It's a handgun of heirloom quality, and when you carry it, you'll show where you stand on the Second Amendment. And just like every gun from Bond Arms, it can be converted to suit your needs. 25 different barrels fit every Bond Arms pistol, and you can use 14 different calibers. Now, Gordon Bond has, um, has pledged that a portion of every PT-2A gun that is sold will go to protecting the Second Amendment rights. It's a special limited uh, edition, only available for a very short period of time. Check it out. It's absolutely beautiful. Go to bondbeck.com. That's bondbeck.com. Take a stand. Because you matter and your rights matter. And the type of handgun you carry says a lot about you and a lot about what you believe in. See the new gun made in Texas, the PT-2A at bondbeck.com. That's bondbeck.com. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Obama said yesterday about Donald Trump because it was it was fascinating and very presidential. In this situation, uh, we're turning over a country that has challenges, has problems, and obviously uh, there are people out there who are feeling deeply disaffected. Otherwise, we wouldn't have uh, had the results that we had in the election. Holy cow! <laughs> now, why would they be disaffected when they've had eight years of you? Now you have to take. Huh. <laughs> you have to take him him coming and saying something very nice yeah. and go right at him. What? what? Well, his, well, come on. I'm just curious. Isn't that an admission that Yes, it is. Has done that well? If you listen to his uh, whole, if you listen to the whole press conference yeah. though, he spent a lot of time saying how it was different and we weren't in a tra- these tragic circumstances that he took over in and uh, you know, yeah, it's still better. Bush's fault. Yeah, he spent a lot of time saying, yeah, that's true. A lot of time saying, you know, things were good, but uh, that was his like. But obviously, people, some people do feel disaffected, or we wouldn't have seen the results. 
Uh, so he, this was sort of his, it was the second part of that, you know, sentence. If I you will know. say, though, that is as conciliatory as, as I've ever heard him. He is Pretty now amazing. building his legacy. Well, he was getting ready to go on his, uh, uh, his uh, administration's final farewell tour. Uh, to say uh, he's sorry for being an American. So he's traveling to <laughs> Greece and Germany and Peru. He's traveling the world. Right. Just saying how, how, look, everything's been great for eight years. It should be maybe okay with Donald Trump. Uh, the point of this, though, I think is to say that he's actually been pretty pretty good to Trump so far. He has, he has been very, very good to Trump. Continue. It may he's very been... well not. But he's, he's done this, the typical president thing, which is be... Which is very good. And he, and he said that he uh, even, this wasn't yesterday, but he said he appreciated that George Bush gave him breathing room. Let's see if he does the same. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Welcome to the program. Well, the cabinet is being selected, and we are looking at a, a new and changing America. What does that mean for us? And how do we make sure that we hold on to our principles? Steve Dace joins us right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. I will make a stand. I will raise my voice. I will hold your hand. Cause we are one. I will beat my drum. I have made my choice. We will overcome. Cause we are one. Steve Dace is a uh, talk radio show host. Um, heard nationwide out of uh, Iowa, and a, a friend of the program, author of the new book, Nefarious Plot, which is very C.S. Lewis. I mean, it is a great, great book that everybody should read um, that is, is modeled after the screw tape letters. And if you like the screw tape letters, this is a modern version of it. And I think, I mean, I hate to say this because it is C.S. Lewis, but I think just, you know, in the same category as, wow. as good. It was really good, Steve. Well, that's about the highest praise you can give a Theo nerd like me. So I'd like to just walk off now, if that's okay. Yeah. All right, this, see you like later. A Costanza high note. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Welcome to the studios. Glad you're Thank here. You. Um, you, um, uh, you called together a little get-together of some of the people who were never Trump and reluctantly Trump um, and, and wanted to have a conversation with people of where we go from here. What are you trying to accomplish? Just that. I think that we have got to have a time period where um, there can be some family healing going on after what's transpired over the last year. And I think I told you yesterday that I, I didn't really truly understand how difficult the last six and seven months has been because it's not new necessarily for me. I'm kind of one of those grassroots rabble rousers anyway. Mm-hmm. 
so so being on the on the outside looking in of some of my own friends is almost like a state of being for me. But this took it to a whole new level. And I really wasn't aware until it was over just what the weight of what the last few months was like, feeling like every day I was arguing with members of my own audience, um, you know, people who put food on our table, who mm-hmm. support, that support us, that make it possible for us to do things like this. Mm-hmm. Arguing with, with our own peers and our own friends. How many tweets I composed that I had to delete to my own friends because I just couldn't handle some of the things I was seeing. And then wondering how often they were doing the exact same thing to me, right? Mm-hmm. And when I got up the next morning, I was like, holy cow. It was like Katrina in the waves. That one I'm walking on sunshine song came on. It was like, this weight is gone. And, and I think there needs to be, though, some time to assess where we're at. Because I think strategically, we are in a place that we've never been in before as a movement. And that is taking for granted that a conservative movement even still exists, which I have my doubts about that. I, I think we need to also discuss what does conservatism even mean? I was on C-SPAN for an hour the week before the election, and I got that question. And I defined it as I'm a conservative because I'm trying to conserve the things that history has proven are what's best for the human condition. And black man from Detroit calls up and says, I'm a black man from Detroit and says, I've never voted Republican in my entire life. But if someone had explained it to me the way you just did, I might have I might have looked at this differently. I think our I think our damage or our brand has been damaged quite a bit in this race. And I think that it's not a victory as much as a reprieve. I think everybody, to some extent, is ecstatic. The Marxists are out of the White House. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean Donald Trump had a character transplant because the communists are gone. And I think you're watching his capricious, mercurial, unstable nature play itself out just in the court of owls that we're seeing get assembled here in the in, in almost this sort of Kremlin-esque intrigue about transition teams and who's in and who's out. I mean, we've this never happens even seen to that all before. of them. Why is this as a negative? This happens. This happens all the time. The transition team. This this seems normal to me. It, we're on we're on like our third transition team. <laughs> this thing's been on it for a week, you know, and and there's mixed signals everywhere, and and I I just think that. One thing that's how the Trump camp rolls, though. Well, yes, this happened the whole campaign because that's how he rolls. No, that's how he rolls. No campaign can rise above its own candidate. Right. The candidate is always the one responsible for the outcome of a campaign. We should say that you were a friend of you were a friend and supporter of Donald Trump's for a long time. At first, at first, a long time, maybe a relative term. Okay. Uh, What really changed my mind for good you endorsed Ted, though, right? Yes, by the, I did. By the in fact, I, the Iowa. In fact, there was. Caucus. I remember I called Ted up in um, in early July, and I told him, I said, you know, I'm thinking about. I'm leaning going this way. I'm really thinking about it. You know, I think we do need to burn it down. I think we need something dramatically different. And about a week later, um, there was an event in Iowa where they had 13 of the candidates show up. It was a leadership summit, and I was the co MC with Frank Luntz. And I'm sitting there backstage. I'm actually getting ready to meet with uh, Donald Trump again. He's going to come off backstage. We're going to grab a private room, presumably to try to close me as a supporter. And I'm sitting there 20 feet from him when, when he talks about, I've never asked God for forgiveness because I've never done anything wrong. Right. Which was, to me, that was the big thing that stood out to me, even more than the McCain comments, as offensive as those were. Mm-hmm. But that was the thing like, wow, you just walked into a room of 3,000 evangelicals and dropped that bomb. You may not, you don't, you don't understand what you're walking into. And then, and then he talked about, well, I like soldiers who weren't captured. 
And I knew, or I suspected when they walked off of there, that, that him and his people were going to ask me, how do you clean up this mess? I didn't know what the answer was. So this is not a great, this was not a real men of courage moment, guys. I hit the eject. I just walked out. I, I, cause I, I was like, I wouldn't know how to fix this. It's done. Don't fix it. Go home, go back to Trump tower. This is not fixable. Salvage your brand. So, but it didn't hurt him. It didn't. didn't, it didn't hurt him. You know why it didn't hurt him is Sam Dunberg, who is still a friend of mine, who was the guy that helped set up Trump's original campaign. Mm -hmm. Sam called me the next day. He had sent me a column that he had ghostwritten for Trump for USA Today in response to this. And it was, and he essentially had doubled down on it. And Sam, and, and, and the column was, hey, look at all the money I've given to veterans groups. Look at everything I've done. Who are you people to question me? And Sam said to me, he said, hey, Steve, do you like this column? And I said, I, I think it's forceful. I like it. He goes, well, I go, why? And he said, because I took everything that you put in your book, Rules for Patriots, How Conservatives Can Win Again, the previous book I wrote, and I used that to construct this piece. And I am convinced that that is what turned everything around. The first time the media came at him. See, this election wasn't a repudiation of Hillary Clinton. I don't even think it was a repudiation of Barack Obama. I think it was a backlash repudiation of the media. And Trump ran against the media the entire time, ran against them in the primary. Fox tried to kill him in the first debate. They couldn't. And so they ended up shilling for him after that. I think he beat the media. And I think most people as conservatives, guys, define their conservatism not by an objective values or set of values, but by opposition to the liberal media. Explain that. Meaning that I think we're so we don't we first of all, we don't have an objective value system. Ask the average conservative, why are you a conservative? And you're probably not going to get a cogent answer. I mean, I, I, was, I was listening to the roundtable you had, before I, had a, before I came on, and you talked about the Declaration of Independence. When I go around the country, if I teach in churches or I speak in churches or I preach in the church where I go to back home, if I ask believers, what is the foundation of the Christian faith? Almost every time they're going to tell me it's the Bible. No, it's not. Christ is the foundation of the Christian faith. Paul says, if Christ isn't raised, you're, then your preaching is in vain. You're all still dead in your sins. Christianity is about God supernaturally wove his hand into history to roll a stone away and bring a dead man back to life. Did that fact happen or not? If it did, then the Bible is the clarification of how we are, the de- how, how we are to then live in light of that fact. If it didn't happen, then we don't, we, we're free agents to free and make this up as we go along. The, the, the Christianity's foundation is Christ. The clarification is the Bible. That is the relationship, I believe, between the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. The Declaration of Independence is the foundation of America. There is a God. Our rights come from him. Government's only responsibility is to protect and preserve those rights so we can reach our God-given potential. And that's it. That's it. That's all there is. There isn't any more. That's it. And then the, then the inevitable, inevitable questions that come along when we have conflicts. How do we resolve those things? The Constitution clarifies those conflicts. But the Declaration is the foundation. How often is that foundation ever uttered, ever, by any conservative? I just just gave this speech Sunday. I wish you would have been there because it was that. There's six points in the Declaration, and the Declaration of Independence has those six points, and that's all you need to know. That is the spirit Mm -hmm. of America. The Constitution is the framework on how to protect that idea, Um, and, and we miss that. And progressives have tried to destroy the Declaration, and we don't have a Declaration the, the, the conservatives are supposed to be saying, what is a conservative? Well, that we hold these truths to be self-evident. Right. That all men are created. They're endowed by their creator with certain rights that are unchangeable. 
Those rights come from God. The government is established to be able to protect those rights. That is their main duty, protect those rights. Mm-hmm. That, the, that the laws are all based in natural law and uh, the laws of nature and nature's God. So the laws out of the Bible, the big 10 commandments mm-hmm. and what you witness in nature, you can protect yourself because a bear can protect itself. So why can't I? Um, nature's laws, nature's God. And the last one is if a government becomes hostile to that, you have the right to abolish it right. and reestablish a new government that will protect those rights. I mean, that's I, it. That's the whole idea of America in a nutshell. I know it sounds like we're having a Cleon Skousen class in here, but that, that's, that's what it is. That's what we're supposed to be conserving. I don't, know, I, I don't know what most of conservatism is. And, and it's easy for me to say I, I don't have, you know, one of the 10 biggest shows in the country. I haven't written five New York Times bestsellers, but it seems to me like most of conservatism is selling out conferences and selling widgets. Yes. And it's not an advancement of a set of principles, let alone policy. Does anybody know what the Sam Hill conservative policy actually would be? Forget even defining our principles. Let's say we define those. How would we go about governing accordingly? Does any, has anybody even seen in their lifetime, except for maybe the first half of Ronald Reagan's first term before the rigor mortis of Washington set in, has anybody ever actually seen what governing along those lines would look like beyond just no. framing the principles? No. No. And you ask a conservative, what does it mean to be a conservative? Well, I believe in God, and I believe in traditional marriage, and I believe that people should work hard and we should have less, you know, welfare, whatever they want to say. They make it about the policies. What does it mean to be a conservative? Mm -hmm. There are certain ideas that are universal and everybody knows that we were created, we were created by a God, That God gave us rights. We've established government to protect those rights. And the minute those rights, the government starts to abuse those rights, we have a right to abolish it. That is the conservative idea. And if we can all start to say those things, because, uh, you know, I was looking, if you look at the Bill of Rights, everybody's looking for a place where we can come together now. Well, what are we going to do on global warming? What are we going to do about Planned Parenthood? What are we going to do about... We're so far beyond that. We are so... We have no cornerstone anymore. We have no baseline anymore. So we're just winging it on all of those. There's nothing to be able to say, well, our polar star says that we have to do X, what Y, and Z. What is the plumb line of American culture? What is that? There is none. There is none. There is none. And it is... The idea of the Declaration of Independence and the framework of the Constitution. And I know I could go to any college campus. I could go to Berkeley Mm -hmm. and say, do you believe in freedom of press that press shouldn't be restrained? Now, this is changing. But right now, we still have, yeah, press, uh, uh, there's a freedom of press. Yes, there's a freedom to assemble peacefully. Yes, There's a freedom to question the government. Yes, there's freedom of religion. That one is beginning to change too because we have abused both the press and religion. There is, there's a fascinating article at 538 today, which is Nate Silver's 
yep. website. And it talks about how Americans may be too religious to accept socialism. And if I wasn't down here hanging out with you, all, with you all today, here's what I would do on my show if I was on the air on my show tonight. I would go on the air and ask my audience, why is this true? Why is America, t- why, how come if a people are religious, they will reject socialism? And I will guarantee you most of my audience, unless I explain it to them, won't know. Won't know. And it's because obviously if the state's going to be God, there can't already be a God. Yes. That's why socialism either precedes or, or proceeds secularism every single I don't time. believe we are too religious for socialism. I don't think we are either. But I think, it, but here's what's fascinating. My point is how, how often we had to see because Fox, Infowars, and Drudge wouldn't do it. And so we saw the mainstream media vetting Trump during the primary according to his, his lack of conservative orthodoxy. The liberals were doing it. Now 538, a liberal analytical site, is now explaining to us essentially conservative apologetics, why we won't accept socialism because we're still too religious. They're making our arguments for us better than we currently make them. By the way, that's not good, guys. No, because they're making those arguments so they can understand yes. it and dismantle yeah, it. They're, dis- they're deconstructing us better than we are constructing ourselves. And, and the fact is, I, I think that most people have been convinced by the left now that socialism and Christianity are, are one and the same. Yes. I mean, Jesus way too many people yeah. believe that Jesus yes. was a socialist. Yes. I, I just read another article about yeah. that. Yeah, easy. And the rest of the people think that socialism, and I'm not making this up, think socialism has something to do with social media. Yes. Socialism just means the promotion of Facebook and Twitter. Uh, okay, there was a poll a few years ago that found something like six out of ten people that had, been, had held elected office felt the Electoral College was a place that you went to get trained on how to get elected. So there you go. Now this... <laughs> Uh, if you are going home for the holidays, will you be able to see if your home is safe? This is the time when people break into people's houses, beginning really this weekend, uh, all the way through the holidays. They, uh, they, they are on hard times, or they just know you've got extra stuff, and uh, they're going to take it. Simply Safe Home Security now has Simply Safe Security Cameras. These are brand new, state-of-the-art cameras that are all Bluetooth. They connect to the sensors in your Simply Safe alarm system. If your system detects something, the camera automatically turns on and records it. So somebody comes home, you get a recording. Somebody breaks a window, you get a recording. You can see everything that is happening at your home at any time. And if somebody is trying to break in, when the police are called by the Simply Safe system, the police can then download the video and you have the evidence. Check out Simply Safe and their brand new cameras today at simplysafe.com. Go to simplysafebeck.com. That's simplysafebeck.com. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.
Steve Dace is with us, the uh, uh, talk show host and also author of the new book, uh, Nefarious Plot, which I can't recommend highly enough. Just a great book. Steve, so where do we go from here? What, what happens now? Because people are hurting and they are looking for somebody and they are dismissing people like, I mean, even those in the conservative movement are dismissing people like Steve Bannon. The media is now saying Steve Bannon is a bad guy. They're absolutely right on this. But the media has such a bad relationship with the American people. By them saying he's a bad guy only makes, only makes people say, well, he must be a good guy. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're doing their best to inoculate Steve Bannon from criticism at this point. Um, and I said this, PBS called me the day after the election, asked me to come on a roundtable and discuss from a conservative viewpoint how they missed the Trump phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And I, I pointed out to them that, you know, you guys are disconnected from America. And I asked them, how many people in your newsroom right now at PBS, how many are pro-life? How many of them go to mass once a week? How many of them go to church? How many of them even considered voting for Donald Trump? Like a single person. You guys define diversity by external identity. Most of America doesn't. Most of America defines their identity by their value system or what they think they need or want at the time. And so you are literally not talking to most of this country. And that's why you miss that. And, and you, I think, I, think I, I told them, I think, you got, I think people got the rise of Fox News wrong. That it wasn't that it was GOP TV. That's kind of what it is now. But that they, they, they talked about our values without suspicion. Yes. You guys do. Yes. Back in just a second. The Fed is hinting that there might be a rate increase when they meet in December. Uh, Stock market looked like it was going to tank when Trump was winning Tuesday night. Uh, But after his speech, it rebounded in a huge way. Bigger than China. Uh, And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that coming up in a second. Steve Dace is with us. Steve, what, what... Tell me... Is there the possibility, because I think we should consider this, that we have been completely wrong. Is there the possibility that Donald Trump becomes Ronald Reagan? I think we should absolutely consider the possibility we've been completely wrong. Now, I, I, will, be, I will be surprised if we are wrong. And I think what we're seeing in the transition team indicates we're not. That this is material Why? and because it's inconsistent. I mean, there, there is no consistent strain in who is surrounding him other than did you help me get to where I'm at 
And if you're progressive Rudy Giuliani over here, and if you're evangelical pastor's kid Mike Pence over here, you help me get to where I'm at. So find a way to kind of work together. I mean, Reince Priebus, when he opens his mouth, the Republican machine we all hate comes out in every last syllable. So you're going to go on camera and eat the crap sandwich on TV, and Bannon's going to be my Rasputin in the dark room over here calling this Bengali shots. I mean, these two guys have literally nothing in common other than they both help Donald Trump get to where he's at. Do you believe that Bannon... Talk radio saying Bannon is okay. I, you know, I've met the, I think I met him once briefly, been interviewed by him twice on Breitbart Radio. All I know is what I've heard from other people. And all I've seen is what I've watched and witnessed Breitbart News become since it essentially became symbiotic with Trump. And, and I don't think, and I'm someone who used to be a regular reader, I don't think I've shared a link or clicked on a link at Breitbart in like nine months. I, I just got so disgusted by what I saw that it just, it literally became dead to me. Same with Drudge. I can't remember the last time I visited Drudge as a website. I just, I can't handle it. Um, so I just, to me, I just look for news and other sources. Yeah, hey, so we are. So um, you just don't think that there's a chance. He can I think there's a chance. I, I, listen, I, my worldview starts with God raises dead people to life. Right. Okay. So I, then I, so to quote the great prophets at Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> I'm saying there's a chance. Okay. <laughs> there is a chance, but I, this is why I think we should step back and let it play itself out. Now, I think the early returns are mixed at best, and the pressures, the real pressure... What do you disagree with on his appointments? Um, I, I, first of all, I wouldn't have Rudy Giuliani anywhere near my administration. Why is that? Uh, because he's, he's the ultimate progressive Republican. That's why. I mean... Well, I, no, I think Chris Christie is, but he's a close second. He's a close second. Close. I, I think, I think the, the dynamic between, between Reince and, and Bannon is terrible. Uh, it strikes me as trying to split the baby in half, and this is often, as someone that's worked on a lot of campaigns... This is why businessmen are often the worst candidates, because they think it is like running a company, and it is not. You know, a CEO can't coin money. A CEO can't command an army. A CEO can't compel you to do something lawfully or unlawfully against your will. A president can. And I think that is where it's, it's, not, and it's not the same. It's just because Steve Kerr is a great coach of the Golden State Warriors doesn't mean he can coach the Dallas Cowboys, guys. There's some skills that transcend, but they're totally different pursuits, different personalities, different activities. Uh, you know, and not, to, and not to mention, Trump hasn't always been successful as a manager. He's filed multiple bankruptcies. He's had several failures. It's not the same at all. And so when I see the previous Bannon thing, this is what it looks like to me. It looks like, hey, Reince, your, your reward is you get to go out there and be the guy on camera, and you're going to speak to McConnell and, and, and Ryan down there on Capitol Hill, and I'll be Nicholas II over here in a corner dark room while Rasputin is whispering sweet nothings in my ear. And we'll essentially have our own little management team over here deciding which of your ideas we'll veto and which we won't. Who's actually in charge? The last thing someone with Donald Trump's temperament needs is to have the people facilitating him in an uncertain chain of command. I mean, when you, when, when you are as mercurial and capricious as he is, then the people around you have to be ironclad certain. You know, it's a little bit like in football. If the head coach is not Mr. Game Manager, then the assistant coaches need to be real X's and O's people. And if the head coach is an X's and O's guy, but not Mr. Light You Up in the Room when he's recruiting athletes, that means the assistant coaches have got to be in there and woo mama and, the, and, the young, and, and their baby boy on the recruiting trip. Trump is not Mr. X's and O's guy. He's not. Well, so someone else has got to do that. Well, who is that right now? I mean, you kind of have these two towers of Mordor here between with Reince and uh, and and uh, is Reince is Isengard and Bannon is Mordor. They have literally nothing in common other than they have a common, you know, uh, sentiment with Donald Trump that you can't run a government that way. 
Government is not like a business. It's Wait, not. But he's, he's going to try to run it. I mean, one of the most amazing things I saw yesterday, um, and I said this wouldn't happen, this couldn't happen, and it's happening. For him to ask for top-secret clearance of his children. They are denying that, by the way, I believe, um, for what it's worth. Well, that's good. Yeah. Do you believe it? Well, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I it sounds. Initial the source last. was an unnamed source, and I, there's some way, there's some reason to doubt it. I, I think, say. I think, I think, with stories like this, guys, we're going to have to. I think we're not dealing with a level of, shall we say, prudent communication we've ever seen from people in power before. I think we're going to really have to sit back and wait until the final deed is done. Because if we react to everything these people say, we're all going to have coronaries. We're going to be like, this is the big one, Alice, by the time we get to 2017. <laughs> So I think we need to just sit back. I think we have to like wait for them to actually sign the waiver before we react to the story like this. Because I think they will seriously just throw crap out there all the time, see if they can get away with it, see what the, what the, what the backlash is, and then say we never really meant it. It's been my experience. Again, I've had a lot of experience in politics. I've never seen anybody govern differently than they campaigned. Ever. Ever. It is who they are. That's what my problem was with, with Donald Trump. He would say, I'm not this guy, but your whole life shows that you are. Right. You don't generally change. Not unless something transcendent yeah, Unless you. there is a pivot point. Yes. Something big happens in your life, yes. and then you're like, I'm not that guy anymore. Is there any chance, you know, becoming president of the United States <laughs> is that moment? I mean, it is a possibility. Right? It is. Unlikely, there's a possibility. No, I, I have to tell you, I think, uh, you know, I was thinking about that when, when, you know, the next morning Donald Trump woke up and... I thought about it that next morning. What must that be like to wake up? And it's one thing to have your wife roll over and say, well, good morning, Mr. President-elect. It's another to then have the Secret Service, the apparatus, the everything start to change around you. The weight. I mean, Truman said he felt like the, the earth. I'm sorry, that the moon, the sun and the stars fell on his shoulders when he found out he was president. Mm. There is a chance that that changes you a big, a big chance. I think there's also a difference, gentlemen, between winning the presidency and being the president. When, when your life is defined by Maslow's hierarchy of needs, as Trump's entire yes. existence has been. Yes. He has received now the ultimate self-actualization. Yes. Right. But here's the question. Next May, when the headlines are done and the, and the parades are over and the Organization of American States wants a nine-hour meeting with their emissaries in the White House, does he really want to do that? Not a chance. Does he want, or, or does he want to be down, does he want to be teeing it high and watching it fly at the Mar-a-Lago with, you know, some Hollywood starlet? What would he rather be doing? I think that's, you know, I had, I had somebody offer me a job in New York City a few years ago and I tried really hard for it. I really wanted it. It was dry time in New York. I thought it'd be the greatest thing for my career. And then when I got back home and waited for them to make the decision, I recognized that what the commute would be like, the changes would be like, moving my family to New York City, how different the values were. And I realized, you know what, I think I wanted to win this job more than I wanted to do the job. I wanted someone to come to me as a guy and give me that helmet sticker and say, yeah, you got this accomplishment. But did I really want to do this when all the trades wrote about it and all the accomplishment stuff was done? Did I want to do that job? And I wonder if Donald Trump has truly considered, does he actually want to be the president? Does he want to do it? And that's why the people around him, who I think will really run the show, that's why it is so important. That's why I have a guy who works here now, um, John Schreiber, who is 
brilliant. He runs my company, and he said um, he's been asking people uh, as we restructure everything, what do you want to do every day? And people will say, oh, you know, like me. He asked me, well, I you know, want to do the radio show, want to, you know, be able to talk and make a difference and everything else. He's like, no, 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 no. What do you actually want to do every day? Mm-hmm. That's very different. And people don't ask themselves that question. They, they think of the accomplishment. I want to go and do this. I want to be here. I want that job. But they don't necessarily match it with what they actually physically think. Oh, I'd love to just do this every day. Mm-hmm. And they're very different things. And I think Donald Trump in May may find that. He may not. He may love this. But he he doesn't strike me as the guy that does like to be sitting in the office at the late night meetings. Mm -hmm. But I think that's why people like Bannon are so critical to make sure good guy, bad guy. Because if indeed Donald Trump is the guy who says, I don't want to be there all the time. He will put it on the shoulders of Rasputin. Well, and this is why, what is the value system? This goes right back to where we started the conversation, guys. I mean, this is not a company. You're not selling widgets. The goal is not to end up in the black on a P&L statement. You're, you are governing a free people. And sometimes that means you're going to make decisions that are unpopular. And, and, and so is everybody in on advancing that value system? I know that we look back now on the Obama years And we look at over 900 Democrats in the legislative branches across the country who lost their jobs under his presidency because of the voter backlash. I will guarantee you, though, almost none of them would ever publicly say they regret it, because even though he did it by hook or by crook, he did more to advance a progressive worldview into our government than any human being has in the last century. And and so, therefore, that's why they got into government, to advance that value system. They're on board with that. That's why they never, ever fought back against him, even though it was costing them seats in their own, in their own legislatures. What is the end game of the Trump presidency? What is making America great again? What is the vision of might what be, that would be? You think it might be fascism? I think that my fear is that our side is going to embrace authoritarianism because they saw Obama get away with it. I think there were, and I hate to say this, but I think there were a lot of older white people that sit home and watch Fox, Fox News all day that got really justifiably angry at the last four years of what they saw Obama do. And they said, you know what? We need to go get our own version of that. Oh, then did I, did I help cause this? I think we, yeah. you know, I, I think we all have, to some extent, played a role in this. I think so. It, we're self-governing people, so there's no one, you know, yeah. nobody's absolved from it. I think that I, I've looked at some of the rhetoric I've used, that we have to win right now or we're on the precipice of history. And I've wondered, what is a sense of urgency and when am I actually feeding into the sort of panic that causes people to embrace Do you think anybody on the left is starting to feel this way? Do you think they're self-examining like we are on the right? Uh, they soon will. First, they got to do their fake Tea Party AstroTurf, get rid of the Electoral College crap, which is just clickbait to raise money, basically. When they get done with that here in about six to eight months, we get into year two or three of a Trump presidency. I, I bet you they'll have a newfound respect for separation of powers and limited governments in some way. Yes, I do. It's interesting to me because the New York Times came out this weekend, and this is what they expressed to me. When they invited me up, 19 editors from the New York Times editorial board were there. And they wanted to know who we were, what, what is really happening, what's caused this, mm-hmm. uh, what their role was. They were very, I thought, introspective. And they said at the time... We know we have a problem. We're not connecting with the American people, and we need to change that. They came out this weekend and said that. 
I think there is some, there is some movement in trying to be better. I said to Judy Woodruff on PBS on the panel I was on this week, I said, Judy, where I come from, a dad who thinks it's a bad idea to have another creepy dude go into the bathroom next to his young daughter in the women's bathroom, that's called a parent, not a bigot. There's a whole other country out there. You guys don't even interact with it. You, you lecture to it. Yes. And so as a result, look they, down said, at it. they said, let's go find our own person that can smash these people so that we can at least get our, star, our side of the story out there. And I think Trump wisely capitalized on that. <sighs> Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you Steve very much. Um, now this. If there is a, uh, a financial bubble that is about to burst, and uh, we've got somebody on, Chris Martinson of uh, Peak Prosperity, he is a guy who we found about five months ago and um, took us a while, but we, we hired him. He is the guy who I think has the best view of the markets and the economy and can explain it out of anybody I've met in 15 years. Um, he's coming on the program here in about 15 minutes, and we're going to talk about what is happening in our country Changes are coming and they are inevitable. And as our new government takes shape, we should take a moment to take a positive step to make sure that we are doing what's important. And that is becoming self-reliant, whether it is because you could lose your job, somebody else in the family could lose your job, you fall on hard times or there's a major catastrophe. We should have food supply at least three months. Here's one year emergency food supply, breakfast, lunch and dinner. If you're a family of four, You buy this, and it gives you three months of food. There's your three months food supply. All done, one phone call, 800-946-2325. It's $997. Now, that is $800 off the regular price. This is almost half off. This is an unheard-of deal. One year of emergency food for one person, 800-946-2325. It's three months of food for a family of four. Jeffy spends more than that in three meals. It is. <laughs> it's two dollars and like thirty-seven cents a day. Nine ninety-seven only at preparewithglenn.com. Preparewithglenn.com. Eight hundred nine four six twenty-three twenty-five. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. So the media is having a field day with uh, Steve Bannon, and I want to read a couple of statements to you and see if you agree or disagree. Fear is a good thing because fear is going to lead you to take action, good or bad. Uh, Bad. Um, Let the grassroots turn on the hate because that's the only thing that will make them do their duty. Definitely bad. We believe there's uh, we we believe there's no functional conservative party in this country. Uh, it's going to be an insurgent center right populist movement that's virulently anti-establishment. No, thank it, you. It will hammer and hammer and hammer. All Steve Bannon, not good, and those 
That's just the beginning of his quotes. Glenn Beck. Mercury. Hello, America, and welcome to the program. So glad that you are tuned in today. Thank you so much for listening. I want to talk to you about your economy. And I want to talk to you about the economy. I want to talk to you about your economy and what is possibly coming our way and what the world looks like. We begin there right now. Entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Chris Martinson of peakprosperity.com is is probably he is the guy I have been looking for for probably 20 years, 15 years at least, who sees the world in a similar way that I do um and can actually explain it um and explain what is coming, explain why it's coming, how it's coming and possibly what it looks like on the other side. Um, he's been on with us a couple of times, uh, but because of contracts, um, he couldn't. And so we figured out a way to get him into a contract with us. And we're grateful that he is with us. And I have big plans for him to be able to teach, to teach us exactly how this all works and what possibly is coming and, um, how we should, and what we should be aware of. Welcome to the program. Chris, how are you, sir? Well, Glenn, I'm doing very well. Thank you for that kind introduction. Um, Chris, tell me, I, I, was, uh, I was watching the stock market on uh, election night, and it cratered almost 1,000 points. And then it turned around, and it took off. Can you tell me, uh, this makes me really nervous because nothing has changed. It's all just all on speculation, and, and it's already a giant bubble. Can you tell me, is there any good news here happening? Is this all bad? What is this? Well, uh, you know, Glenn, I get to hobnob with a lot of people who've been in, um, say, running hedge funds for 30 years. And uh, the more experience people have in this so-called market we have right now, the more confused they are. And I think to understand this market, what we have to do is is step away from the signals that the prices are trying to send us and, and back up and note that the world's central banks have put $16 trillion into the punch bowl. And that's going to create a lot of money sloshing around looking for things to do. So what we saw on election night is very concerning because it saw money running away from the stock market, the U.S. stock market, in a big, big way, and then stampeding back in in a big, big way. Those are not healthy signs of a healthy market, and uh, I, I will lay the blame for such weird conditions at the, at the feet of the central banks. So, okay. so that's so, something we have to I, understand. I didn't realize that we were already at 
$15 trillion. That is, they don't call it printing. They call it quantitative easing. But in the old days, if they would have done exactly what they did, they would have had to print this money, and it's $16 trillion now? Yes, that's 16 additional trillion on top of what the central banks already had uh, printed out of thin air, as it were, or electronically created. Holy cow. Um, So there's rumor that the Fed is going to, they're talking about raising interest rates. And the reason why, and and tell me if this is the, uh, the right explanation, the reason why the Fed increases interest rates is to suck some of that money back in so it can be destroyed. So inflation happens because there's too much money out there chasing too few goods. And so you raise the interest rates, which sucks that money back into the bank, back to the Fed. They destroy that money. Is there any interest rate that you can think of that wouldn't collapse the economy that could draw this money back in? No, it's really hard at this point. So here's where we are. The Fed is truly between a rock and a hard place. So here's the rock. The rock in this story is if they drive interest rates lower, like Europe has done, like Japan has done, endowments, pension plans, which are already hemorrhaging. Big story there about what's happening to pension plans, the Dallas police pension, California state pension, you name it. Uh, those are just dying on the vine here. So any Why? the rock is lower interest rates. Those are going to kill savers. It's going to kill people on fixed incomes. It already is. That's a bad place to be. The okay, damage stop. is already being done day by day there. Stop, stop, uh, stop. Why is that happening? Why is that damage being done to savers and to pensions? Why, why is that happening? Well, it's happening because the Fed had this idea that if it made interest rates down 1% or 0%, that they could rescue the credit markets, which is a fancy way of saying make sure the big banks have healthy earnings income. So they did that. But so far, savers, because remember you used to get 5% uh, on your savings account, like if you had money in the bank, hey, you got 5% just because it was in the bank. Now you get what, a half a percent on a six-month CD, something like Mm -hmm. that. Well, what happened? Where did that 5% go? What happened to it? Well, that was a trillion dollars of interest income that has not gone to savers. But where did it go? Because, see, the Fed is a distributor. It's not, it doesn't create anything. It distributes. So it drove interest rates down, and it crushed your savings account and my savings account's interest income, so we didn't get it. Well, who got it? Oh, the banks got it, because they make the money on uh, having a steeper yield curve, as they say, or interest rates driven down. That really helped the big banks, didn't help savers. So that's also really crushed pension plans, because they tend to keep a lot of their money in bonds. They're getting 0% on those bonds. They're expecting, requiring, needing, Glenn, to get 7 or 8% just to meet their obligations. Oh They're not gosh. getting it. And every day that they have to live with 0% on their bond portfolio is another day closer to death for those, uh, for those plans. So when people hear about the bond market, because I've heard this for a long time, that the bond market is about to crash, blah, 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 the bond market, the bond market... What you're really saying is anybody, especially in a union, anybody who has had their money in some sort of a mutual fund or bonds and they're getting they were getting their retirement from that investment, teachers, unions, even some of our 401ks, that's all going away because that that could collapse. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. 
So if we can just take one example, uh, Chicago, poorly run, terrible. You know, they gave away way too much. You know, the, the, let, let's not get into why they got into so much trouble. But they, they had uh, – their plans are so underfunded that the statistic I heard is that to just make the firemen's pension in Chicago whole, meaning this could pay out all of the pension promises it's made to already retired and soon-to-be-retired firemen – in Chicago, they would have to put a one-time $50,000 per household tax in order to make that one plan solvent. Oh and, of my course, gosh. they're not doing that. They can't do that, so nobody talks about it. But that, when we don't talk about these things, they don't go away. So we get to experience them as part of the political upheavals that we're seeing, which are people saying, hey, you've sucked all the economic oxygen away from me, and it hurts. And so, while they were doing that, it went to a very tiny minority, uh, you know, who are well-connected in this story. So, Chris, what I'm, what I'm concerned about, and I think if people understand what is happening and you understand, okay, the bond market goes down. Most people hear, oh, well, that's something about Wall Street. And I don't really care because I'm not connected. Well, yes, you are. On, on bonds and mutual funds, most of us are directly um, connected to those especially in retirement, when that happens, who is in charge and what we do and how we hold our nation together is really important. How do we hold a nation together? First of all, is there a way out to make that work? And B, uh, if it doesn't work, how do we hold a society together that feels now that they've had their retirement and their life savings stolen from them? Well, the first part is, until and unless you recognize the problem exists, you can't get started on talking about what you might do about it. This is a giant issue that's in front of everybody's eyes. I talk to people who actually run big pension plans. They're screaming about it. You know, it just doesn't have traction. Politicians don't want to talk about it. It's too uncomfortable. But for people who are thinking, oh, well, if that happens, I don't have a public pension. To those people, I would say, well, you know somebody who does, right? This affects every community. It's going to affect all of us. And that gets every teacher, every firefighter, every police officer, everybody, everybody who's in public service. And half of the nation is now in public service. It's It's a very big number. And so you get to part two, which is, well, what happens when, not if, but when, we experience those losses. And the issue is, can we hold the nation together? Well, what you're hinting at there, which we all saw in the aftermath of this most recent election, there are real social consequences when you have people who have been economically marginalized, or in this case, damaged. It's a very real thing. So, so to some people, I've you know, said, Chris, this election was really tough. It's, I can't imagine it being any worse. And I say, oh my gosh, oh, yeah. if you think this is the high watermark, of our national distress, come look at these charts with me because these charts say we're just getting started. When does this hit, Chris? Well, I think there's no tip, you know, no math function. Uh, It hits when people finally recognize that it's a real issue. And we know it's a real issue, but critical mass of people are starting to to catch on to that. Notice that uh, uh, in Dallas, I mentioned it already, but the Dallas police uh, retirement fund is so underfunded that police there are retiring as soon as they can and taking their lump sum distributions because they know it won't be there. 
And every time somebody does that, of course, it hurts that pension a little more, but it's the only mm. sane thing a retiring person could do, uh, would do, be to do that. It's already uh, circling the drain. And just that one pension alone, if they had to try and make it whole, will break the budget of Dallas. And so if they try and make it, so then Dallas has to choose, are we going to fix our bridges? Are we going to keep our schools open? Or are we going to pay off retired police officers? And that's just the police officer's pension. We haven't discussed it. You know how they're going to choose, and then all those people have worked their whole lives with a promise of something that was never, no one was ever able. These unions and the politicians colluded and lied and knew if they would sit down with an actuary that none of these things would actually happen, but they all just went along with it because it was politically expedient for them. That's exactly right, Glenn. And, and it, it, it is a, a tragedy that's coming, but it's right in our faces. And of course, the thing that you touched on there, I think is the most important, which is that sense of injustice. When people have been openly lied to, you've broken yes. that social contract on a number of levels. And then why should they stick to the rest of the social contract? That's, that's right. That's really what's at stake here. It's really important. Well, you're a happy, happy camper. Um, Chris, hang on just a second. I want to take a break and come back. Um, History has a way of repeating itself. This half hour sponsored by Goldline. The total number of homes with foreclosure filings has jumped 27% from October to September. It is the biggest jump in monthly foreclosure filings since August of 2007. If you're just joining us um, in this last half hour, you, you may have an understanding now why I keep saying principles and hold on to each other are so important. If we don't hold on to each other and if we don't change our behavior, if we don't reach out to each other, we will tear each other apart when all of this stuff hits. And it's, it, it's happening on Main Street, and it's a lot different than what's happening on Wall Street. Do your homework and get the facts, and please consider gold. Goldline is the only company that I trust. I I bought gold from Goldline years before they were buying commercials from me. I was a nobody when I started buying gold from Goldline. Call and, and, and buy with confidence after you do your own research. Make sure you read their special uh, risk information. They'll give you everything. They're completely transparent. Really think about it. Really study it out. And if it's right for you, then Make your purchase at Goldline. 1-866-GOLDLINE. 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Seven two seven back. This is the Glenn Beck program. Ben Carson has turned down a cabinet position. Uh, he was offered a Department of HHS, and he has turned it down. Yeah, um, he uh, he was offered that he will not accept a job inside the administration. And the quote in the article from someone, I guess, in the administration said, "Carson feels he has no government experience. He's never run a federal agency." 
Uh, he ran what? for president. I mean, he was going to have to be ahead of all of the federal agencies. I asked, Why did he run for president if he was going to turn down a job because he didn't think he had any government experience? I offer you the point. job has that. I don't understand work. Ben Carson. What the hell happened with Ben Carson? Anyway, um, look, we're, we're back with Chris Martinson from uh, peakprosperity.com, a guy who is um, we're, we're going to be working with a lot here to try to explain what's coming and what's happening so you are prepared and as you start to see what he lays out, you'll understand why I have been so stressed in the last uh, few years. Um, and I hope not to pass that stress on to you by giving you some things that you can actually do with Chris. Now, Chris, I want to just I want to ask one thing that I don't think I'm alone in. You just I asked you, when does this hit? And you said, well, when everybody finds out about it, that's when it crashes. And I thought to myself then why the hell are you on radio telling everybody about this? Let's just keep this to ourselves. <laughs> oh, I wish we could, but it's, it does have a, a math function all on its own. It is running, and, you know, the pensions are uh, running out. That's just one side of this story. But, you know, the larger piece, Glenn, when I back up is I say, look, here's the larger story that's, that's very difficult to explain. It confronts a lot of belief systems. It makes people very unhappy, but it's this. We can't have infinite growth on a finite planet. You know, you just you run into limits sooner or later, and people have figured that out locally with maybe water in California or, you know, there's no more soil to, to plow because it's all in use in, in Indiana or whatever the story is. But, but we have an economic model that's been growing and growing and growing, and now the world is in competition, and this is the larger tapestry that I think your, your audience really deserves to know, which is, look, the United States is not alone in the world. There's now China over there. We've got Europe. We've got India coming on board. Everybody's kind of looking for the same uh, resources that exist out there. So that's a, a, a grand game of chess that's going to be playing out. And I don't say that to make people anxious. I say that because if you have that information and, here's the important and, and you take actions to make your life more resilient and do something, then that's positive. If all so you know I will, is stuff that makes you upset, then you're just anxious, and that's no good at all. So, right, and that's, and that's why I've wanted to work with you, um, because I, I'm tired of hearing, first of all, nobody can explain this stuff, and you do a great job of explaining it. And second of all, nobody has an answer for the average person. So let's go back to the bonds for a second. If I'm an average guy, I've been a police officer my whole life, and I'm going to retire in the next five years, do I take my retirement right now? Absolutely. And I do it in a lump sum? Yes. Even though that is, I mean, I mean, that's, I mean, you have that right to do it, but you're going to collapse it even faster. Well, your choice includes, um, you know, this is just, again, this, this isn't a, I'm not saying this is an ideal situation, but uh, for you, the individual, the only sane way to play the game is either t you can take the money out and receive some benefit from it, or everybody takes the, you know, gets nothing from it eventually. So it's just how it plays out, and, um, you know, I, none are so poor as those who only have money. So my story is never just about the money, that this resilience story has to go well beyond into something I heard you talk about just before we, we went to the break, which was your social capital, who you know and how well you know them, going to be a very important determinant, and there's a lot of steps people can take to make their lives more resilient. But for now... In the way the money system is set up, you absolutely want to do everything you can to protect your wealth as much as possible. How fragile, you know, I 
thought that this market in this country was much more fragile than it is. Um, we have, la- I've been, you know, I've been saying this since 2004 or six that this, you know, first the housing bubble, and I thought 2008 would have been the big one, and I think it would have been had we not bailed it out with TARP and everything else. I think now we've made things much worse by all the bailouts and all the bogus money and everything else. Is the next burst of the bubble as bad as I think it will be? Um, and, or is there another TARP that is uh, it will buy us some more time? I'm going to come back with your answer here in just a second. from peakprosperity.com, who is uh, now a member of our team, uh, a guy who I have literally been looking for, a guy like this for at least 15 years, a guy that sees the world in the same way that I do, can explain it and also um, uh, can give us options of what do you do about that. Uh, and it's taken us a while to be able to uh, work out a deal so he could come on because he had complex contracts. But we are so thrilled that he's part of our team now. Uh, and uh, we're going to hopefully sit down soon, Chris, and, and work out some things um, to get you very involved in uh, Glenbeck.com and uh, the Glenbeck Radio Show to be able to teach some of these things. Um, because uh, I think people will understand why I'm so concerned and stressed out because nobody is explaining this stuff to them in a way they can understand. Uh, And I think people on the business shows on TV, correct me if I'm wrong, are living an absolute illusion or delusion. Uh, No correction necessary. It's it's a self-delusion. It's astonishing. And here's the funny part about this, Glenn. You know, when I talk with some of these people, they're public. They have the same public and private positions, right? Publicly, they say what they say. I get them behind closed doors and I say, uh, do you really believe that, or how concerned are you? And some of these people, uh, some of the wealthiest people I know, have jets ready to take them to literally bunkers in Switzerland. I can, can I tell you something, Chris? I find it reprehensible. I can't tell you how many people who are on television saying everything is fine have said to me off air, I can't say this, Glenn, but keep saying it. I, uh, the same thing. I've got, a, I've got a Gulf Stream ready to go. Really? Well, thanks a lot. You're mm-hmm. telling us something opposite of what you're doing. And they just, they don't, they believe that if they say this, then people will panic and it will be over a lot faster. And I think they never say this, but I think they think there's more money to be taken off of the table. 
Uh, I think that's part of it. There's a lot of self-interest. Can I tell you one of my most disappointing moments in a person's career is what I call the retirement speech. Say a senator, finally on the retirement day, they tell you everything they never said yep. while they were actually in a yep. position to do anything about it. And then I don't yep. care anymore. I don't care if you tell me how far off the rails the country has gone now that you're retiring. What a, what a weak way to go out. Come on. Know. You know. So, Chris, the, the, the bubble that I think uh, was coming... In 2008, I started talking about an 04, 06, and it was the housing bubble. And I said, it's going to be Great Depression style. And it turns out it wasn't. I didn't figure in TARP. Now, I think what we've done because of TARP and money printing and everything else, I personally think it is Western world depression or even worse, uh, a game-changing kind of scenario. A, do you agree with that? And B... Um, uh, what does it look like? And see, is there a tarp or is there something that changes that that I don't see? Absolutely. I agree with the position. I was a very vocal critic of all the bailouts, uh, in particular bailing out places like Goldman Sachs at 100 cents on the dollar for their bad bets with AIG, Citigroup. These were uh, badly run organizations that needed and deserved to go out of business. Uh, They didn't. They were rescued. And because of that, Glenn, I think that that was an opportunity to take a painful fall from a a ladder, but we were four rungs up. Uh, Now, because the Federal Reserve and TARP and all the bailouts, what we've gotten is we're about 20 rungs up the same ladder now, much more painful fall and and may even be uh, worse than that. So the next crisis is going to be bad, and they're going to fight it tooth and nail because they believe in their heart of hearts that it could be a lights-out crisis if they don't. And I understand how they got there. Remember, 2008, we had to wait a year and a half when, when Hank um, Paulson's memoirs came out and Mervyn King, then the Bank of uh, England governor, they came out and said, guys, we were like three or four hours from a systemic banking collapse that could have wiped the world out. That's what they were thinking, right? So what do you think they're thinking today when everything that was in place then is still in place but larger? Do we have fewer derivatives? Is sovereign debt lower? Uh, all of this, no, is the housing bubble? Where is it? It's right back where it was. So we're... What they did is they pumped the credit markets up, and it was a double fingers crossed moment. They were saying, please, growth, please, please, will growth come and bail us out? Didn't come. And that's where we are at this awkward moment of the Fed saying, ah, we think we need to raise rates. They're like, guys, too little, too late, and you're going to do it into a weakening environment, not a strengthening environment. Never been done before. Good luck with that. Does it require a massive shock? Does it require an event, or could this just happen? Well, it's a very complex system, so it could be either. It could be the German finance minister says something wrong and some trading algorithm picks it up and starts the ball rolling. Who knows? Um, You know, we've seen the signs, Glenn, where the market has these really unstable moments. So I I watched this market very closely. I remember a year ago in August when the Chinese currency devalued by 3%. That was the day we had the Dow down another 1,000% in response. I was like, wait, what? The Chinese currency went down 3%. Now the U.S. stock market's falling like a stone. That level of, of, that's the kind of market we have now. It's kind of unstable. And I think that's why there's so much fear out there, particularly amongst, Glenn, the people I know who know these markets best. They're the ones who happen to have the Gulf Stream spooled up and, and uh, ready to go, as it were. What does it mean for the average person, Chris, and how do we prepare? So the average person really has to have the context. Look, if 
you don't know what's happening or why, you're going to be uh, shocked, you're going to be confused, you won't know what to do, uh, you need to have a plan before you need the plan. Uh, so what, what I advise people to do is first get the context, get educated. It's not that hard, but you can't, you're not going to get it off of CNBC. You're not going to get it out of the Wall Street Journal. So you've got to get the context, see what's happening, and then decide for yourself what steps you're going to take. Because in my world, Glenn, the, 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 we mentioned it once, but if I'm feeling anxiety or I'm feeling fear, it's because my thoughts and my actions aren't aligned and fear lives in the gap. So close the gap. You can't change what you know, so change your actions. And there's lots of things people can do to secure their finances uh, and to make themselves more resilient and uh, to just begin to understand that we're going to have to be a little bit more responsible for our futures than maybe we have been up to this point. But I think that's a good thing. And people can find a lot more fulfillment and purpose and a higher quality of life uh, nothing that would surprise my great grandfather. He'd be like, "Yeah, you're living how people have always lived, uh, a little yeah, bit closer, and so, uh, in connection." So, so then, tell me, what 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 do you do? I mean, you know, do I have cash? Do I have gold? Do I get out of the stock market? Do I leave it in and just try to, um, you know, if I'm younger and leave it in and weather this storm? Will I be completely wiped out? Do I put it all in gold and you know whiskey? Um, what what do you because when I get to this point and I talk to financial people, they all say, well, Glenn, if, you're, if you really believe that there's a massive Great Depression meltdown and there's a possibility that the American dollar goes, um, you know, then I can't help you. There's no scenario for that. Well, I, I hope the American dollar doesn't go, but I think that's kind of the way we're going. We're going towards a one world currency, one world kind of, or at least a Western world um, uh, digit uh, over a, an actual currency, it seems. W- what do I do? Well, I, you know, it, everybody's got a slightly different story. So let me tell you what I did. Um, I had took almost all of my money out of the stock market, out of the bond markets. I have a pretty good chunk in gold and silver at this point in time. Two words. I, have, I own them for separate reasons. And I own my home free and clear because I had the capability to do that. I have a lot of cash built up, and I'm waiting. And I have a list of things that I would really like to own at some point because my model, the thing I believe is going to happen, there will be another crisis. The Federal Reserve will overreact. They're going to, you, you asked, do they have another uh, arrow in their quiver? Sure they do. It's a quantitative easing for Main Street. You'll recognize it as either a complete tax holiday courtesy of the Treasury Department, which the Fed funds with freshly printed money, Or maybe it's a check that shows up in your bank account straight from the Fed. I don't know. But money comes to us, and that's when I've told my people, that's when you run. You do not walk. You run to buy the things that are on your plan, the things that you've identified. But first, there's a little waiting period here, and, and we just have to sit it through. This has happened, what we're about to experience, dozens of times in history. When they write about it in the Wall Street Journal, they're going to say, Massive wealth destruction. You know, investors lose trillions. But if you watched what happened carefully, it was actually a wealth transfer. Real wealth is always the land that we walk on. It's the productive enterprises. It's real estate that has real value. That's the real wealth, not the paper stuff that is a, is a claim on that wealth. 
So this has happened over and over again, and, and it's a long story, and I know we don't have time to fully express it today, but this is the, the larger context. If people can see what's coming, I'm telling them, look, it's a wealth transfer. They've happened dozens of times in history. Get on the right side of the line very quickly and simply. It means owning real assets. Okay, Chris, we'll talk again. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Chris Martinson uh, from peakprosperity.com. Um, he is an expert in the gold and stock market and, uh, and uh, a voice that I think you need to hear more from. And we'll, we'll have him on. And he's going to teach certain things, uh, teach some basic principles, uh, show you, like I think he did with the bond market. Boy, you know, you listen to the bond market. The bond market's going to crash. Most people don't have anything in the bond market, they think. No, if you're a police officer, if you're a fireman, if you're a teacher, you definitely have something. You have your retirement there. Um, and, uh, and so now what do you do? Share that um, message with a friend, if you will. You'll be able to find this uh, on hour three of today's show at glenbeck.com. But share that with a friend. And now this from LifeLock, one of the world's largest social media sites facing a multi-billion dollar class action lawsuit for invading users' privacy. They use uh, the use of facial scanning technology, tags people in photo, and it has raised concerns about the exposure to identity theft. The images can be more valuable than credit card numbers and the address because of your biometric data that serves up as unique identifiers. Now they're stealing our faces. Make sure you have LifeLock. If you're a LifeLock member and you become a victim of identity theft, their U.S.-based team will work to resolve your case. Now, nobody can prevent all identity theft and monitor all transactions. It's just not possible. However, LifeLock is the best in the business at protecting your identity. And right now, for a special 15% discount, go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-440-4936. Use the promo code BECK15. It's 1-800-440-4936. Offer ends the last day of December, so do it now. 15% savings at BECK15 is the promo code 1-800-440-4936. Promo code BECK15, 1-800-440-4936. LifeLock.com. Glenn Beck Program. 888-727-BECK. Mercury. I know we're early on Christmas. Yes, I got it. I got it. I just need a little holiday cheer myself. Um, welcome back to the program. We have a brand new Mercedes-Benz from Plano, uh, Mercedes-Benz of Plano, Texas. They have uh, been so gracious to give us this Mercedes-Benz to raffle off uh, a 2016 Mercedes-Benz CLA 250C. Pretty sweet. It's really it was outside the building uh, the other day. Got a chance to look at it. And I think... Like I've gone over the rules. I think I can. I think I can enter. No, I don't believe I you. Think can. I can enter? No, I don't believe you can. I think the rules are going to let me in. Well, I believe that you have purchased a car for eighty dollars. I have. I've. I've actually got a car for under eighty dollars. I got for under a hundred dollars. I spent eighty dollars on a car. It was one of my first cars. I made payments on that. I paid the guy twenty bucks a week 
for a month. And he finally, <laughs> after a month, he said, just come and get the car. Get it out of my driveway. <laughs> but I made money on that car because I had a drunk guy hit me. And so the insurance company gave me money for it. So if I get this $100 Mercedes, think of the money I make for that. Right. Huh? Right. It's always a scam. It's always yeah, it's, yeah, it's never scam. just like, hey, wow, I got a car. I'm going to keep the car. It's no. always a way to make money. On yep. There's got to be a way to turn it. Um, does it require a drunk guy to make money on this Mercedes? I mean, it's or? possible. Possible, yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, Mercedes-Benz, if you would like one, uh, for $100 in raffle ticket, um, uh, the proceeds all go to uh, Mercury One. And we would love for your um, uh, support for Mercury One. This is the fundraiser that we do once a year that, you know, pays for all of the bells and whistles, uh, you know, like heating and lights and telephones and people. Kind of need those things. Yeah. We we think of them as options. <laughs> what, heat? That's an option. I watched Scrooge. Um, anyway, um, we want to thank Mercedes-Benz of Plano. If you would like to go and register, you can go to mercuryone.org slash m1ball, mercuryone.org slash m1ball, uh, and you can register for the Mercedes. It's $100 a ticket. There's only 5,000 tickets that are sold. Um, I think there's like 2,700 left. This is the last week you can register. You have a really good chance of winning. You don't have to be present to win. I'll call you with, you know, the good news that you won the Mercedes. Um, and uh, we, sure would, we sure would like to have you be there. drive away. And the I'll events be there Saturday, Saturday night. Yeah. Saturday night, yeah, that's yeah. the ball. Saturday it's, night, it's coming Saturday. so I'll be there. You won't need to call. You can just let just say yeah. my name. Yeah, it is yeah, mm-hmm. Jeff Fisher. And yeah. I'll just no, come up and get the keys. You can't win at the Intercontinental in Dallas uh, at six thirty on Saturday. Uh, Dana is going to be uh, hosting this. We're all going to be there. Country music star Sarah Evans, who is really good, she's going to be performing. Uh, we want to thank the Vineyard family for being our our uh, chair this year. They are uh, uh, they're the people that. Uh, do Babe's Chicken, which I was really disappointed to find out we're not having Babe's Chicken as as food, but uh, whatever. Um, if you would like to go to the M1 Ball, it is this Saturday night. We would love to see you there. Mercuryone.org slash M1 Ball. Uh, grab your tickets there. Um, all of the uh, proceeds go to uh, Mercury One. Let's practice. And the winner of the Mercedes-Benz is... Not Jeff, Jeff Fisher. Fisher. Thank you. Not Jeff Fisher. <laughs> Not Jeff Fisher. In fact, I will make sure that as we draw the name out, Jeff is nowhere even near the stage uh, drawing that name. You can promise that? I can promise That's that. That's interesting. I can guarantee that. I'll, we'll bring handcuffs. I'll handcuff him to the front door if we have to. He knows how to get out of handcuffs yeah. for a long time yeah, since he was buying $80 cars. <laughs> this is... The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.